Fumbling around looking for my glasses. They're on me. Thing that's happened, uh, I'll get to it in a minute. It's going to be unusual. I haven't read a, a uh, sermon in years, but this morning I'm going to read this so I don't leave out any details, and it's an account that we found in the safe this last week. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But first, if you have your Bible, turn to John chapter 12. That's our subject text of today. This will be a bit of a different sermon than maybe we've ever had. But we're reading about this triumphal entry. And if you didn't get chills just watching what I just saw, you know, I don't, I don't know. Maybe you will today. It's amazing how the Lord uses visuals. And I am reading from John chapter 12 and beginning at verse number 12. The next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast, and we're talking, of course, about the feast of Passover, okay, uh, had come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. They took branches of palm trees, and they took these palm trees expressing joy and victory. You'll hear about this later, what palm trees, what palm branches actually meant when they were spread out in front of someone in a procession. And they went out to meet him, and they cried out, Hosanna! And Hosanna doesn't mean hallelujah. It doesn't mean praise the Lord. It means Yasha. Anna, save us now, save us, we pray. That is what they hollered as Jesus went by. Then they said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the king of Israel. So we know that in some aspect they recognized that he was a king of some sorts, a king of some kind. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They realized he had been sent from God, Yahweh Almighty. He says, blessed he who comes in the name of the Lord, the king of Israel. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that, these, and that they had done these things to him. Therefore, the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, bore witness. For this reason, the people also met him, because they heard that he had done this sign. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, you see that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the whole world has gone after him. Let us pray. Lord, I thank you for your word that is the same, Lord, uh, yesterday, today, and forever. Your word abides forever. Lord, thank you that you have preserved this text through your servant, John. And Lord, now I pray that we too would look to you today and say, Lord, save us. Save us from ourselves. Save us from our sins. Save us from our, the problems we find in our lives. Lord, you are our Savior on so many levels. So, Lord, I pray that today our faith would not be fickle towards you, but, Lord, that it would be a firm faith, a faith that stands, Lord, on the truth of your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So this morning we're going to do something different. I'm going to read a scroll that was found this past week when Sue and Karen were cleaning out our safe and going through the church documents. We found an ancient scroll. I don't know how it's been missed by other people. Uh, 
I have it up here. I have it so you can't see it. It's so precious that I don't want anybody to even see it. But we're going to find that we found this scroll that has an eyewitness account to everything that happened that morning that we call Palm Sunday. And we're going to hear him talk about all that he felt as all those events were going on. And he signed his name at the bottom of the scroll as Yosef ben Yehuda. So we know he's a Jew because he has a Jewish name. That's Joseph, son of Judah. So <clears throat> we're really fortunate to get the observations of somebody that was there. So I think and hope that you'll look on and listen on and wonder as, as you hear what I have read this week, and I've been so amazed. He starts off, <clears throat> he says, My name is Yosef ben Yehuda, and I testify that everything I am writing in the scroll is a true and correct account of what I have seen. Sounds unusually like an affidavit. So, and that's what it is. A strange rabbi named Jesus came into the city of Jerusalem this morning. If you're not, <clears throat> if you're up on the Mount of Olives looking over at the Temple Mount, Bethany is behind you and right over the hill. Bethany's right there. There's the Temple Mount. Bethphage, the Mount of Olives, is right in the middle, and it's two miles from there to there. It's like going to the Whitehall store to get from Bethany to Mount of Olives. Mount of Olives to the Temple Mount is to come back here again. That's how close all of this was. He says, Bethany is behind you and right over the hill. What happened in Bethany yesterday triggered what is going on today. There's been a whole lot of talk, and people are saying that the poor, mysterious rabbi from Galilee, a man named Jesus, has raised a man named Lazarus from the dead, and it happened right there in Bethany. It sounds crazy, I know, but it's what everybody's talking about. Some people, of course, doubt that any of the report is even real, but others are flooding back to Jerusalem, and it's on everyone's lips. It seems like everyone knows someone who was over there when the whole thing happened. Some are wondering whether this is really him. Could this be the Messiah? Is this the Messiah that we have waited for so, for so long? Boy, if we ever needed a Messiah, we need him right now. And the people said, Amen. The Romans have moved into our country, and they have taken over and made alliances with many politically powerful Jewish families. Our leaders are in cahoots with the Romans. It leaves normal Jews out in the cold. We are poor, simple, religious Jews. We are left with no voice, no power, no resources. We have no hope. We are a conquered people living as subjects of the Romans with all of their paganism and heathen temples. They even put a, an eagle, a Roman eagle, at the gates of the temple. And that, that is true history. It kind of makes us all sick to walk by these temples that they have made to themselves, to their emperors, to their gods. Something's got to change, and if ever there was a time for the Messiah to come, our Deliverer to come, it is now. The chatter in the city is all about Jesus and this Lazarus, whom they say he raised from the dead. Early this morning, I heard someone mention that this rabbi, this Jesus, was on his way to Jerusalem. The crowd began to grow, and people kept on coming. It seemed like there was a sea of people in the street. I was watching the Roman soldiers, and they watched the mob growing. They all looked nervous to me. The people lining the streets arrived with palm branches, and they were already starting to wave them, getting ready to hail their newest Messiah, the son of David from Galilee. The Romans had seen palm leaves before and palm branches. 
They were well aware of what all of this means. Every time a conquering general comes back to parade through the streets of a conquered city, palm branches are waved. Everyone knows that that is how a conquering hero is greeted. Any crowd makes Roman soldiers nervous, if you've lived in Jerusalem like I have. And these types of crowds get out of hand very quickly. One minute people are rejoicing, the next minute they're off, someone's getting killed. Crowds are fickle. Do you know what fickle means, my friend? It means that they love something for one minute, and the next minute they hate it. Crowds like this take on a mind of their own. The Romans even created a term for this that they call in their language mob rule. This makes the Jewish leaders nervous too. I was watching them, and they were getting very, very antsy. They didn't like a bit what they saw, and they didn't like what they were hearing either. All of this king business that was being talked about. It will end up with Roman armies pouring into Jerusalem and once again butchering hundreds, if not thousands, of Jewish people. But you know, the people are restless. They're tired. They are desperate for a change. And it seemed that we Jews were standing on the street wanting to make this man from Galilee a Messiah, whether he is or not. Probably what bothers our Jewish leaders the most is that nagging thought in the back of their heads about that prophecy in the book of Daniel. They've all read it, and they've discussed that odd passage near the middle of the scroll. They have spent years calculating the time sequence of Daniel's prophecy, and a few of the more learned rabbis who are really good in math know that this is the time period that the anointed one will appear in Jerusalem. The Messiah is due to come, and here, this very day in Jerusalem, a rabbi that some call the Messiah has come into Jerusalem. Well, yeah, they have all argued and discussed the date, but today is within a year of when all of the expert religious leaders said that he will come. One of the religious leaders that I used to spend time with told me that this, he calls him Yeshua, that's his real name, this rabbi needs to be stopped. He said that this Jesus doesn't look at all like the Messiah that we have all been expecting. He's not who we want to come. Jesus has been challenging their authority, and they feel like they're losing control of the situation. I, too, am greatly interested in the prophecies of the book of Daniel, the scroll of Daniel. I've heard them read during the Haftorah readings each week in the synagogue since I was a little boy. I've even asked several of the Jewish leaders to interpret that cryptic passage in Daniel for me. I was always fascinated that the scroll said that when he would come, that his purpose would be to finish transgression. What does that mean? To put an end to sin? How can sin be ended? To atone for wickedness? I thought wickedness was atoned for in the temple. To bring in everlasting righteousness? I'm not even sure what righteousness means. To seal up visions and prophecies? What kinds of visions and what kinds of prophecies? And lastly, to anoint the most holy place? I'm still not sure what any of this means, but I'm writing this down for you so that you can hear and you can listen and you can wonder along with me. I've even asked one of Jesus' disciples about some of these things. The disciple admitted to me that he and the other disciples don't really know exactly what's going on either. I thought they would shed light on it, but they can't. They're stumped as well as I am. And they've told me that Jesus has been telling them all this last week 
that he would be rejected and would even face death. This makes no sense. How can a Messiah who's supposed to come liberate us die? What in the world would that mean? Various people have different ideas about who this Jesus is. This morning, as Jesus was riding in, I heard this man that works in the temple shouting out words, and it made my hair stand on end. They were words that we've heard read in the synagogue from our prophet Zechariah. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming. He was out there saying all this as this Jesus was riding in. Your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Gosh, when I heard him shouting those words, I had chills up my spine and my hair stood up on my arms. I was seeing what they were shouting. It was happening as I was watching. And it made me wonder a few things. Jesus calls himself a king, but what is he a king over? From all that I can see, it seems like Caesar's still the king from what I'm seeing. However, as I think through the words, I realize that Jesus is coming not to the Romans, not to the Gauls, not to the Franks, but he's coming to us, the Jews, the daughter of Zion. That's us. Well, I sure hope he's a king because I'm tired of seeing Roman pagan images up on the gate of our temple complex. I am tired of paying taxes to Caesar, who does not care less about us and is not observant of anything in the Torah. Jesus might be a fraud, but he does seem to have a certain peculiar righteousness about him when I watch him, and I can't make sense of it. It's not in a big-headed way, but something deep inside me that I can't quite put my finger on makes me think there's something righteous about him. I guess because his teachings do call for repentance. The Messiah is supposed to bring salvation. He's supposed to conquer all of these evil people who run the world. So why is it always that evil maniacs get in charge? I can't figure it out. We've heard these things and seen these things from Rome. Well, from what I saw, Jesus doesn't seem too interested in any kind of conquest. But on the other hand, Jesus came riding down the streets of Jerusalem, not on a kingly horse, but on an untamed colt. This was a sign in our traditions of something lowly and gentle, like when Solomon came into Jerusalem. He was not on a white horse, but humble, born in a manger, riding on a donkey. I all, all of us had heard the story. But that's the way God does things, isn't it? He uses what is weak and humble for the most powerful and glorious things that happen on the earth. He chooses his people Israel. And he chose his people Israel. I'm having trouble with the scroll, sorry. He could have chosen these powerful Egyptians with their massive pyramids. He could have even chosen Babylon with its towering ziggurats and its hanging gardens. But instead, he chose us Jews and we are the least among the nations. What do we have? Just lilies in the field. Probably the strangest thing about the whole morning was that no one quite understands what's going on. What's happening? If this is the Messiah, are we about to go to war? What does it mean for my people? When I'm confused, I go to an expert in the law, and there's one nearby here named Nicodemus. I saw him standing there under 
a palm tree this morning watching Jesus enter the city. And it was weird. When I looked at him, it's like he had tears in his eyes. I went over to him to speak, and he shared with me that he has secretly come to believe that this Jesus, this rabbi, he is the Messiah, the anointed one. But Nicodemus told me he has not told this to anybody. He told me that Jesus had told him that he had to be born again. Well, gosh, I'm not sure exactly what that means, but Nicodemus said he's beginning to understand it. These are the words that he told me Jesus told him. No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the son of man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And then he said this sentence to me and it gripped my heart. I'm not there yet, but this is when I heard this, it's like a lightning bolt went off in my spirit. For God, that's Yahweh, so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Could I be looking at the son of God this morning? Nicodemus seems to think that Jesus is this Messiah and that something terrible is going to happen to him. Well, it doesn't make a bit of sense to me, but let me tell you, it has got me thinking. When I finished talking to Nicodemus, I went back to the crowd and I found some scribes. Those are the guys that copy scripture and then they copy it again and again and again. And I figured that surely they, among anybody, would know what all was going on here. I went up to one of them that I had known since childhood. We went to Sabbath school together. We learned how to write Hebrew together. I said, what in the world's going on? And he said, look, it's happening. It is happening exactly like we sing in the synagogue. And he recited from memory the passage that we used to sing when I was a little boy. This is the gate of Adonai. In my language, Adonai means the Lord. And we put that in our scriptures referring to Yahweh that we don't even like to say his name. So today, if you don't mind, in the scroll, I'm just going to call him Adonai. This is the gate of Adonai. The righteous can enter it. I'm thanking you because you answered me. You became my salvation. I remembered singing this as a kid. The very rock that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Is this Messiah the cornerstone? This has come from Adonai. I wonder if he came. And in our eyes, it is amazing. This is the day Adonai has made, a day for us to rejoice and be glad. And then look at this. There we have sung this so much. Please, Adonai, Ashahana, Hosanna, rescue us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of Adonai. We bless you from the house of Adonai. Gosh, he's saying the exact words that are being screamed by these pilgrims that are there on the sides of the street in Jerusalem. Adonai is God and he gives us light. Oh, my stars, join in the pilgrim festival with branches all the way to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I thank you. You are my God. I exalt you, O Lord. Give thanks to Adonai. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his hesed, his enduring, everlasting love, his grace continues forever. And God's people said, amen.
The story gets difficult for me to tell now. The scribe was yelling in my face, it's happening, it's happening, it's happening right now. Don't you realize that it's happening? The praises and the shouts on the street were deafening. The people were beside themselves because they were convinced that Jesus would deliver us for the Romans, from the Romans. And it makes me wonder whether this Messiah or a false, is, is this the Messiah or is this just a false Savior of their own making? Well, several days have passed since Jesus was crucified. This is what it says in the scroll. And Yosef uh, ben Yehuda says, well, it seems that we're all fooled again. The disciples were fooled. Nicodemus was fooled. The scribes were fooled. Jesus' own disciples have left him. It was all a farce, and the crowd turned on him so quickly. We can love a leader one minute and then hate him the next. I guess he really wasn't the Messiah. If our expectations aren't met, we get turned off, we grow cold, and even some of us turn away and turn on that person that has been the object of our affections. After the events of that morning, things got ugly. As the end of the week drew to a close, it was the time of the Passover. The Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, had a custom, has a custom of freeing a Jewish prisoner right before Passover. He had already declared Jesus innocent of anything worthy of death. We all heard about this in the street. Pilate had seen through what the Jewish leaders were doing, and he was looking for some way, any way, that he could release Jesus. Pilate's wife even had a nightmare and came to him and said, Pilate, have nothing to do with hurting this man. Pilate was between a rock and a hard place. So Pilate offered a cho choice to the same crowd that had been there on that roadside shouting, save us, Hosanna. He offered the release of Jesus or Barabbas. Barabbas is a well-known murderer who had tried to lead an insurrection in the city. We all know who he is and we know what he's made of. The choice before the people could not have been more crystal clear. They could free a quiet, gentle rabbi who had healed the sick and worked many wonderful miracles, or they could free a murderous revolutionary. This same crowd that had shouted, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest, were now screaming, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate washed his hands of the whole matter. He actually gave them three times to choose Jesus over Barazas, but they kept screaming, crucify him. Pilate washed his hands. He handed Jesus over to the soldiers to be scourged and crucified. Well, I decided to write these events down because it's been three days now since the Romans killed him. There's a part of me that's really heartbroken that he wasn't the Messiah. He wasn't the conqueror that we were expecting but there was something gentle about him, yet powerful. He was comforting, but he was kind of scary to look at. Yet he was overwhelmingly genuine. I just wish that, wait, there's one of the disciples running towards me, and they're saying something odd is happening at his tomb. I'll write more down in this journal when I figure this whole thing out. Well, the account of Joseph ben Yehuda ends right there. We have nothing else on the scroll. So what are we going to do with this amazing testimony? What does this mean for the congregation at Union Grove Baptist Church of Whitehall, Texas? This is a wrap-up. I thought this would be a good way to remind us that we should never fall in love with a Jesus of our own imaginations and our own expectations. 
Gosh, it is easy to do that, isn't it? The people that lined the streets that Palm Sunday morning decided who and what they wanted Jesus to be. So I'm going to ask you this morning, are you fickle in your faith? You know what fickle means? Are you fickle in your faith? Is your faith in Jesus dependent on him doing something that measures up to your expectations? Does your loyalty and love depend on what you want him to do to make you happy? You know what is sad to me? We as believers are never offered happiness, are we? We are not. We forget that, don't we? What we are offered is holiness. The story of Barabbas and his release from condemnation is a remarkable parallel to the story of each and every one of us in this room. We stood guilty before God, and we were all deserving of death. But then through God's grace, Jesus was chosen to die in our place. He substituted himself for our punishment. We are Barabbas, guilty and deserving of death. But Jesus, the Messiah, was punished in our place, and we are allowed to go free. And we are given total freedom with no condemnation or reminder of our sin. He that knew no sin was made sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Paul the apostle wrote that to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 5.21. I haven't read the Cornerstone Messianic passage this morning, but we're going to look at that on Wednesday. We're out of time now. In Wednesday, we're going to hear the testimony of a Jew right here who came to Christ through Isaiah 53 and started a great ministry called One for Israel. We're going to watch it in there. Won't that be fun? And, and we're going to go over what he listened to and all that he said, and it's going to encourage us, really, I think, in our faith. We've heard some great testimonies in that room. But my question to you this morning is twofold. Number one, do you know him? Knowing him and receiving him is the path to eternal life with him. And if you do know him, the second question, which we've been covering in our men's group, have you submitted yourself to his sovereignty? Now, I want to make it clear, submitting yourself to his sovereignty is not the path to salvation, but to obedience and consecrated living. Amen, brothers? Don't look for a different salvation. And when I say that, deliverance, okay? Don't look for a deliverance other than what Jesus offers you. You will always end up disappointed. You will be like Ben Yehuda that says, wow, we were tricked again. And we've not heard the last from him. I'm going to have Sue and Karen dig around and see if we can't find something else to find out what became of him. My prayer is that throughout this day, you will cry Hosanna in your heart in the real sense of the word, that you will say, Lord, save me from my circumstances. If you've not been saved from your sins, pray, Lord, save me from my sins. And salvation is immediate. But those of us who are saved can say, Lord, save me from my circumstances. Help me, Lord, to understand that your will is the greatest thing for my life. And in that, your faith won't be fickle, but it will be firm and on a firm foundation that is Jesus and him alone. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, brothers and sisters, Hosanna in the highest. And the people shouted, Hosanna and amen.